when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to So That Happened, the HuffPost politics podcast about things that happened in politics this week. This is Arthur Delaney. I'm joined in studio by my colleague, Travis Waldron. Hello. And very special guest, uh, Dante Stallworth, former NFL wide receiver and current CNN contributor. Dante, hello. Hello, hello. Not that special, but thank you, though. I appreciate it. Now, let's get right into it. The anthem protests. Uh, it's been raging all week, and Dog Whistle Don had a real hit on Thursday morning. They have to respect our country. They have to respect our flag and our anthem. What prompted that in Alabama? Well, I have so many friends that are owners, and they're in a box. I mean, I've spoken to a couple of them. They say, we are in a situation where we have to do something. I think they're afraid of their players. You want to know the truth. And I think it's disgraceful. I think they're afraid of their players. I also have many friends who are owners. NFL teams. Right. You know, I left this off, best, Travis. All but my best you, friends you, are NFL owners. You, too, were in the NFL. Yes. Uh, Briefly. So, sorry for omitting in a, that. In a stadium once. So uh, <laughs> what does Trump mean when he says that uh, NFL owners are afraid of their players? I think there's a, a range of possible interpretations here, as with many of the things Trump has said this year. Where do you guys think? I'll give you the first crack at this one. As the guy who actually was a player. I think the president is being himself, being Donald Trump. He looks at workers as subordinates. He looks at people that are, quote unquote, beneath him, beneath him. Uh, The president has shown what type of uh, what, what, what type of ideology that guides him through his actions, his actions. Uh, immediately after Charlottesville. And I know we keep going back and forth to this, but I think it's important to point out that the president has been called a number of names. Uh, some have called him white supremacist. Some have called him a racist. Um, and his his own actions in, in there just with in and, in and of itself show who he is. We don't have to necessarily look at the president and say, is this is like and, and have this conversation? Just look at his actions. Look at his lack of condemnation against the, the neo Nazis and the white supremacists that were marching in Charlottesville, screaming "Jews will not replace us." To compare that to his condemnation of NFL players for exercising their First Amendment rights. In, in I other do words, think there's you, some truth in this, though. Well, I, I don't. Think, I just want to break that down. I don't think Donald Trump is. I don't think where he's coming from has any truth. I think he's dog whistling. But I do think there was an element this weekend of NFL owners realizing that players had power. There, okay, so I think it's impossible to ignore the racial component of what Donald Trump just said. It's not about, about race. Okay, but Arthur, there, it's there, not about race. There, there, well, you just you just said, but. There is also a, a power dynamic here where, where players do have leverage. I think this is the only reason you saw NFL owners on the field this weekend 
it went from Jerry Jones to Jacksonville's owner yeah. down the list. Dan Snyder, come on. Um, the, they were on the field because they realized the players had power. And there's nothing that terrifies owners in sports more, and especially in the NFL where players have the least amount of power relative to the owners of any of our sports leagues. Nothing terrifies them more than the idea of players having power. They were on that field to co-opt the message. That's why the owners were down there. They wanted to make this about unity. They wanted to make this about something other than what it was. And their way of doing that was joining in this and showing, ah, we're all together. Like, no, we're not. And if you listen to the players, you'll find that out. Well, what I mean, how much does what the owners did in joining in and and linking arms corrupt the message of the players? You know, I I realize... uh, Colin Kaepernick sat for a specific reason, mm-hmm. and after Trump talked, that made this a little more complicated. With clearly, uh, you you when someone calls all NFL calls NFL players sons of bitches, Dante uh, that's, can, that's a factor. Dante can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think most of the black players or a lot of the black players who have who have kneeled or set or whatever, whether it's Malcolm Jenkins raising a fist in the air, you know, however they've demonstrated, are pretty much in tune with cap's message and i actually thought this week we would lose more of the message um but we actually pulled this this week and 48 percent more likely than anything else people said they thought the protests were about police brutality so i think like people also didn't approve of the protests so the message isn't like sinking in necessarily uh, that which is a whole separate conversation, but people know. I think people know what it's about. They 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 like to pretend that they're not. And I think if you're online or you just read the headlines, you don't get the sense of what it's about. And you don't. You certainly don't get the sense that people realize what it's about. But I think it's as associated with, uh, based on that poll. I think people people are at least sort of realizing what it's about. Well, and that's an interesting fact too. When you look at someone, one of the commentators on Fox News earlier this week uh, talked about um, if the players you know it's okay it's 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 their first it's their first amendment right to be able to kneel you know protest however however they want but she said what are they doing off the field what are these players doing in the community and I, and everyone's reaction was like huh Right. Yeah, a lot of charity. Like, what? Right. But what do you the, mean? It's not like just Colin charity. Kaepernick himself, right. though. Right. Like Colin Kaepernick himself initially said that he was going to donate. Uh, uh, initially said that he was going to donate one million dollars, and he's committed at least I think he's already nine hundred thousand. He's passed. I think he dollars. passed it last week. And 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 it's and it's not just about the money. He's been in the community um, with physically physical presence. He's been a voice. Uh, so many other players. Um, You've been I to was, Congress. Yeah, I, I was. I was able to go with Anquan Bolden and Malcolm Jenkins to to meet with members of Congress. We were there for three straight well, days. I wanted to set this up by saying there's the uh, notion in some of the criticisms that NFL players are are like hypocrites, I guess. But right. there's this separate question, which Dante is beginning to talk about, of NFL players shouldn't talk about politics and that they should just stick to sports, which and, is nuts. Right, so the NFL is a political entity. Right, so the NFL exists because of politics. The way it is, that they have an antitrust exemption. They lobbied for fantasy football is legal because of NFL lobbying. They have seven billion dollars in stadium subsidies, tax subsidies, your money, in just the last twenty years. 
The NFL is the biggest business in sports because it's political. They have a political action committee. You all went to the Hill. The NFL's, you all went for three straight days? Yeah. The NFL's on the Hill every day. And so explain what you did on the Hill and and how that's of a piece with what Colin Kaepernick started when he when he uh, quietly started sitting for the anthem. Philadelphia Eagles safety Malcolm Jenkins and uh, now retired uh, wide receiver Anquan Bolden reached out to me through a group of people that they were working with to go to Congress and have these three days where they were meeting members of Congress, both sides of the aisle, for three straight days. And we've met with, uh, man, I, w- I would say at least 30 members of Congress, maybe more, uh, including Cory Booker, Trey Gowdy, Jason Chaffetz. There were... So it's bipartisan. It, yeah, it, because the because the issue, as we learned, had had bipartisan support. And we, we were able to sit in here with... Uh, people who we probably don't share the same ideology with, uh, sit in, in a meeting with Trey Gowdy and was one of the more productive meetings that we had that day or that, that And, and, uh, what, that and what are you talking about with these lawmakers? We are, we are talking about how do we push, how do we help, what can we do to help push through criminal justice reform legislation? What, what's it going to take for this to even get to the, for this to even get to uh, legislation or or start the conversation again because it we were told that it had bipartisan support on both one of the, sides. One of the things I think when you all did the hearing was ban the box. Is, yeah, I yeah. Was, ban, ban the box in which, an, uh, which is, a job applicant checks whether they've been uh, arrested, convicted right. of a felony. Yeah. yeah, and and there are there are a number there are a number of of, of different types of uh, laws and different different types of uh, regulatory things that the players are really looking at as a whole, not just. You know, it's not just about um, police, uh, uh, community, police in the community. It's it's about the actual laws, the legislation, mass incarceration. These guys have gone to prisons. These guys have sat down with uh, state attorney generals to see what what can we do as professional athletes to help push this issue forward. Okay, it's, so, it's this raises, so this raises the point, though, is the people who make that claim that say, why won't you do something? They're not paying attention. They just well, want they, something not to just say in opposition. It's not just that they're not paying attention. It's that they don't actually believe football is the wrong well, forum the, for a, this. There's a bigger point. They don't point. want to talk about you, it. Intensive lobbying, uh, community organizing I agree. on this topic. But which which thing got widespread attention? Right. It's it, the protests. Right. Which is extremely effective. Which are what yeah. protests are meant to yeah, do. Yeah. No, no one – a protest isn't meant to make you feel right. comfortable. Right. That when you when you look back to the civil rights era in the 60s and the 50s when they were, they were protesting peacefully. They were sitting in in restaurants. How, you, how, how much more peaceful can you get than sitting at a restaurant table? And these people were spat on. These people were pulled and beat and had food thrown on them. All these things. For the, sitting. The agitating. Well, they, they were they were the, these people were agitated because they were just sitting there, and they said, "Take this somewhere else. Take this protest somewhere else. Where the hell else can you right. go?" And that's well, that's this, the whole that's the whole narrative they say all that the raises time. a similar take point, it somewhere else. A similar point to this one too is that you know Colin Kaepernick when he first started the protest was was just sitting on the bench, and he met with a Green Beret, a former Green Beret who had tried out for the Seahawks, and he and Eric Reed, who also plays for the Forty ers they together they decided it would be more respectful to take a knee. Yeah. 
that with a member of the military, yeah. they decided it would be more respectful to take a knee. That it way is kind of respectful, the right, knee. You're acknowledging the anthem, but you're still showing that you're, you have problems that you want to bring awareness to. And that's not good enough for people. That's not, people have lost that. But again, the, the people who say stick to sports, the people who say this isn't the right forum, it's not that they don't think it's the right forum. It's that they don't want to talk about That's it at all. That's 100% accurate. Now, what's, what's apolitical about having the anthem at the game? Nothing. The national anthem is political. Why do we have that in sports games? I know it's a long tradition. It's been in baseball since the 1800s. 1800s. But but that's interesting, too, is all these people that are like the, the NFL's national anthem is the sacred thing. In 2000, like it was only what? Like, it since has, 2009. 2009. Yeah. It's, it's been that, quiet. That players have come out for the national anthem before that they were largely still in the locker room and, and mind you at this time this was when the nfl and the dod were doing marketing business together right, and right. the nfl or the, the dod was paying the nfl millions and millions of dollars at these individual organizations to uh to to, to bring out uh service members during the game uh before the games and it was a it was a marketing ploy by the dod so right. no one's upset about political. that yeah no one's upset about that uh, even even without the ex explicit like contractual arrangement it's always really militaristic right like yeah. it's, there's always a strong military component to the the well, I mean, patriotism the, at sports games. you have like Are, the camouflage uniforms yeah. you know college i mean especially in college football arthur i had i had a i, I had a buddy of mine sorry to cut you off no Charles. you're good I, I had a buddy of mine after i cut you off uh i had a buddy of mine who i, I won't name him but he's he's a well-known actor. I have a buddy who's a well-known actor. That's awesome. Dante's so much I, cooler aren't than I us. Cool? Aren't I cool? Yes, actually. <laughs> I have a buddy who's a former NFL wide receiver and CNN contributor. <laughs> All right. Just, uh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, so so this friend of mine um, who was who was not born in this country but does a lot of work on nuclear weapons and uh, non-proliferation and nuclear weapons and I've worked with him on some of that stuff. Uh, brilliant guy. And he says to me, he asked me, Dante, he says, why – during NFL games, are there flyovers? Why? Why is it only uh, if if this is a celebration of your country? Then why isn't it a celebration of the First Amendment? Why isn't it a celebration of the Fourth Amendment? Why don't you have diplomats out there? In, you know, as in addition to to the military, like it's not a disrespect towards the military, but if you're going to celebrate America, then there are other things other than our military that that come through with uh, with being an American and, and what what our founding principles are. Everyone else in the world may not, may not believe that, but uh, that's what at least what we'd say on paper as a country. And so I thought about that and I was like, wow, so I've been indoctrinated in this, in, in the NFL with, with, uh, with military. You're, you're just indoctrinated. I had no idea that this was going on. The payments were going on between the DOD and the NFL. I, and I guarantee you 99% of the guys did not know this either until uh, Senator Flake and Senator McCain came up with, with this, um, with, with the, paid uh, patriotism, with, yeah, that's what he called it. Paid patriotism. So, my whole thing is just it's 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 always it's always been about politics. No one's upset when when players are doing something that they don't they don't see this. What am I trying to say? They they don't they don't see the the other side. And like you said, it's it's a it's a it's almost a willful ignorance too to not want to see that because they like you said they don't want to have that conversation. All right, Dante Stallworth, former. NFL wide receiver and CNN contributor and Travis Baldrin, HuffPost reporter. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll Thanks be right for back. Us. Thank you. 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. We're back. This is Arthur Delaney. I'm joined in studio by my colleague, Igor Bobic. Hey, hey. And through technology, we are joined by the disembodied voice of Jeffrey Young, healthcare reporter. Hello. Whoa. Hello. Where's, wow. Where's, where's that coming from? So we have uh, exciting news this week. The effort to repeal Obamacare died again. It died three weeks in a row, I think. And before that, it died multiple times. Uh, Jeff, what happened? Uh, well, no, no, they didn't have enough votes uh, because that's not true. People the president says they have the votes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's get to that in a minute. Um, no, I just want to. I want to recap. Like, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about the like the the policy in the bill because who cares anymore? But yeah, uh, yeah, maybe it'll come back up. I don't. I don't but basically. <laughs> They went through this whole exercise because Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy convinced a lot of reporters and uh, some of their colleagues and apparently the White House that, like, we have a new bill and it definitely is going to win. And we're gonna, we got a lot of momentum. We got momentum. We're making progress. We're gathering support. It's going to be great. And when the damn thing was all said and done, they had this same <laughs> they, they, they were still short. Just like they were last time and the time before that. Like, so in other words, nothing actually changed as far as I can see it. And uh, they just uh, had to spend a week and a half uh, getting everyone all upset and then looking bad and looking feckless. Why would you, why would you bluff in politics? In poker, you bluff to intimidate the other players into just giving up because they think they're going to lose. But does that can that even happen in well, politics? Look, I mean, they did actually create a kind of a mirage that they were close. Sometimes that sort of perception can lead people to go, "Well, if they're close, I guess I better get on board." So you know, I mean, I mean, they they almost got to the floor with this like thrown together very bad bill uh, that actually uh, not enough people liked or understood for it to pass. But, you know, they got a hell of a lot closer uh, than other people have. So, you know. And I, and I think they actually got fewer votes this time. Well, Privately, that people were saying there was, you know, only 45 votes. Yeah. You had it, Cruz, Ted Cruz, you had Mike Lee of Utah. Well, there are, there are the uh, sort of cowardly people who announced their position after right. it's, after the well, outcome is or, decided. Or they, they, they avoid announcing their position entirely. I mean, you know, I don't know, but like people were looking at senators like Shelley Moore Capito or maybe Rob Portman and some other people where it's like, well, you know, this is going to be particularly bad for your state. Are you really going to vote for it? They managed to get through the whole process without having to say whether they would have or not. And kind of chief among those people is Lisa Murkowski, who I, I frankly never saw any indication that she was 
in favor of this bill, but she managed like she managed to dance through the raindrops because she never had to say, I would vote for it, I would vote against it. She just got to issue some press releases about how very disappointed she was in the in the process the Senate was using to consider such an important topic to the people of Alaska. Well, there's also the uh, the senator who was in the hospital the whole time. Yes, uh, Cochran. S- senator Bob doesn't exist from the state of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it, Why but, did the president keep saying somebody was in the hospital? Because the president is insane. And then yeah. and then people were and then the response by default was like that Cochran's not in the hospital. Well, he he was having some kind of urological issue. He he was back home. Uh, getting it looked at, but, see, but he, he was not in the hospital. Even there, like, we're all kind of assuming that, like, maybe Trump misunderstood something about Thad Cochran, who, you know, apparently went to the doctor at some point this month. But we don't have any idea what he's actually talking about. And it may even be overly generous to try and guess, right? Like, for all we know, he was thinking of Steve Scalise or somebody I mean, who was not even in the Senate. Like, stuff just comes out of his mouth sometimes, and we all strain to find some way to connect it to reality so that we don't go insane. But it's not always possible. Are, are, are you saying, Jeff, that the president is not a reliable so- source of information? I am. I am boldly declaring so. That's wow. correct. Right. And I'm advising Igor, people to stop sarcasm? trying so hard to make sense of everything. <laughs> Now, uh, the Obamacare repeal is dead, but the Trump administration has another trick up its sleeve, which is to try to just sabotage Obamacare. There's, there's, What's going on with that? There's too much happening for me to even try to list it all for this podcast. So instead, what I'll do is uh, advise people to go to a story that Jonathan Cohen and I published uh, this week in the Huffington Post. Just Google Jeffrey Young. You'll find my author page. And the, the headline will be pretty obvious which story I'm talking about. A uh, 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 listener, you do not have to do that. We will we <laughs> will explain uh, part, no, 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 part no, no. of it. There's too yes. much. There's too much. So I'm just going to I'm going to do an overview. There really is. There's a million little things, right? Was there, what, the, website, the, gist, the website. Look, the gist is, right? Donald Trump is now the president. The president's in charge of the executive branch of government. The executive branch of the government oversees many, many programs and has to run them, programs people rely upon for things like health care, housing, food, whatever, right? Instead of trying to make things as good as possible for the people who use the health insurance exchanges from the Affordable Care Act, uh, this administration is trying to make it worse for them. So Trump is keeps threatening to not pay all this money to health insurance companies that they're owed by the government. Uh, and so consequently, they're all worried they're going to get stiffed and they're raising prices above what they would have already done by a fair amount in addition to the normal you know, annual premium increases, which were going to be pretty high anyway, uh, to, protect themselves, to protect themselves against losing money. So that, that costs everybody more, and it sucks. They are – the enrollment period for uh, exchange insurance this year is half as long as it was last year. It's six weeks. Uh, it runs Sabotage! From, it runs from the 1st of November to the 15th of December. Um, there's a lot of concern. People aren't going to realize the dates are different and just totally miss out and be uninsured for an entire year as a result. Uh, they're Sabotage. also, during that time period, they're shutting down the website for as much as 12 hours every Sunday, which oh, is listen, to say all y'all. the day where 
Uh, most people have free time to do stuff like research their insurance, for example. This is um, – They're cutting money to enrollment groups. They've instructed Department of Health and Human Services uh, uh, employees who are based around the country that they are not – uh, allowed to help local enrollment groups plan out their strategies for the year. The sabotage. So I, there, there's more. And I, I, I honestly, I said I wasn't going to list You're right, that's Jeff, only part that, of it. There's, there's a lot going on. It sounds like they don't, uh, they don't want to administrate, they don't want to administer properly to the Obamacare they law. They want to be able to point to the problems they are creating or exacerbating in these markets as uh, further evidence that you have to repeal the Obamacare monstrosity. But I mean, by doing so, they're like literally playing with people's lives and it's gross. Uh, I- Igor, do people know that Donald Trump is in charge of the government? Uh, yes, I think so. So they might they might figure out that uh, there's layers to what's going on here and it's not entirely the flaws of the underlying legislation. It's It could also be sabotage well then again donald trump could say the sky is green and you know half the country could believe him so i i just don't know whether he's going to pay some kind of price yeah electorally or otherwise for this well i mean it, it, it's hard to predict uh based on polling right because people don't always say the same thing you know depending on what's going on but they have polled on this question uh, the kaiser family foundation other 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 organizations and it's pretty simple you ask somebody is the president in charge of the government responsible for running the government's programs well yes do you think oh. that donald trump should make sure that obamacare works as well as he possibly can yes we do like you know the vast majority of people because people aren't idiots right that, but, that was smart of them to ask uh, yeah you know i've seen some other polling on this too like and, and sometimes it extends beyond trump to the whole republican party because they run the entire federal government right so it's like hey if your insurance rates go up a ton this year or you have some other kind of problem uh whose fault is that donald trump who is the president or barack obama who used to be the president people tend to choose the obviously correct answer um and as you said, I mean, there were already some problems in these in these Obamacare markets, right? Uh, some of which could have been fixed, maybe not, uh, like by this administration. But they are making it worse on purpose, and they're doing it really, really openly. Wow, uh, Jeffrey Young, you are the expert on healthcare policy. Uh, Igor Bobic, you are a, a top politics reporter. Thank you both for being here. I apologize to listeners that the senator in the hospital couldn't make it. Uh, you know, he's he's sick or something. Uh, we'll be right back. And we're back. This is Arthur Delaney. I'm joined in studio by my colleague, Jen Bendery. Hi. And my other colleague, Jessica Schulberg. Hello. Now, the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico, which is home to many U.S. citizens, has been ravaged by Hurricane Maria. This is the third hurricane to wreck the U.S., but the first one in which the response has been heavily criticized. And it, it's been, it had been like a week and you would still see on the news that people had no food and no water. 
And part of the problem, Jen, you covered for us a uh, a shipping restriction in which uh, the people of Puerto Rico basically gouged for having things shipped there. Can you please explain what happened with this and what John McCain had to say about it? It's a law called the Jones Act. It was from 1920, and the purpose of the law was to uh, – the purpose of the law is to – uh, only allow U.S. owned and operated ships to go between U.S. ports. So, for example, um, if you're in Puerto Rico um, and you need shipments and they have to come from the U.S., all those boats that they use have to be a very specific kind of boat that happens to be a lot more expensive to use. There are marks they're built that cost more to build those boats. It costs more to operate those boats, and so in the end, the the costs that fall on Puerto Rico are a lot more than it would be for, say, a foreign vessel. And so, even the crew on the boat has to be American. So how did this come to the national attention this week? Because uh, Hurricane Maria has decimated Puerto Rico, and this law has already been costing Puerto Rico hundreds of millions of dollars every single year. It's an outdated law. Some people want to get rid of it entirely. It's outlived its purpose, some would say. Um, but the effect it's having now in the hurricane is that it is just imposing all these additional costs on the island at a time when they are having a humanitarian crisis. They are already in debt. The, the costs for recovery are going to be, I mean, I have no idea how high, billions and billions of dollars. And here is this law that is requiring them to only use these certain vessels that cost a lot more and they won't and they can't really use any other boats from the mainland, meaning it could affect the number of ships that can come in at a time. It affects how much they're paying to get food and fuel and other supplies they need to keep people alive. So this is one piece of the recovery effort that's, that some people in Congress and just in general have been saying – Oh my gosh, we gotta we gotta waive this law right now. This is a, a real problem. So it's not necessarily that the Jones Act is the cause of any of the apparently delayed response to uh, the disaster that that we've been seeing for the past week. But it's just a, 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 an obscure thing that isn't helping. It's not helping, and in the long term, it certainly won't help because it just adds way more costs on this island that has been economically devastated. And the president was asked about it. And he was he was like, you know, the you know the shipping companies really don't want us to waive that. It was a pretty stunning moment. Somebody asked him yesterday why he doesn't just waive the Jones Act. He has that authority. And his response was, well, you know, the shipping industry, they, they don't want it. You know, they, they, have, they say they have plenty of boats out there. But what he was essentially saying is the shipping industry makes a lot of money by keeping this law in place. And they would prefer to continue making money even in the middle of a crisis. And we should note we're not talking about um, repealing the law. Only Congress can do that. When we're talking about waivers, we're talking about seven-day waivers, you know, a temporary lifting of restrictions to allow more goods and more ships to access the ports. Um, so to be kind of like that blatantly beholden to business that you can't issue a, a one-week waiver. I mean, we, we did issue a waiver during the last hurricane, I believe. There have been two waivers in the last month after Hurricanes Irma and Harvey, but this time there just hadn't been one, and people were itching to understand why. And the Trump administration justified those waivers as opposed to this one because, well, the oil industry in Texas was messed up, right? Was, was there some like specific reason they had? The, well, the, the, Homeland Secret- the Homeland Security Secretary tried to 
explain this. She said that they basically have very limited authority to issue a waiver. And it has to be something that falls under being an, a national defense issue. So in the case of Texas, for example, when they issued a waiver, it was because there were fuel shortages. And they said that this was a – there was an oil pipeline that had been interrupted. And so they deemed that a national defense issue. Therefore, they got a waiver. In this case, the secretary had said, well – you know, we haven't heard about fuel shortages in Puerto Rico right now, so we can't justify it. Really? But I, mean, yes. I heard about fuel national shortages. National security waivers are just like such a such a BS mechanism. I mean, anytime Congress does something to constrain the executive branch's authority, whether it's sanctions or anything, you always add this national security waiver, um, and it's sort of a recognition that in extreme circumstances, the president should have the authority to have some type of flexibility to do you know common sense things. Um, so to try to argue that there's no national security imperative to um, loosen restrictions on the flow of goods and services to an island that's without power for the next six months is kind of ridiculous. So Donald Trump arch nemesis John McCain waded into this and apparently succeeded. Well, so John McCain's been wanting to get rid of this law for years. This is not a new thing for him. So this is a great opportunity for him to push the issue again. And it makes sense even more right now. And he made a he made a issued a pretty strongly worded letter to the Homeland Security Secretary saying, what are you doing? Get rid of this law. Look at Puerto Rico. They don't have any water. They don't have power. What are we doing? Um, and he's complained about it. He's grumbled in the hallways to reporters about all this. And then a day after his letter came out or two days later this morning, uh, Donald Trump announced that he's waiving the Jones Act. And on, I think that John McCain did have an effect on that. That would be Thursday morning. Thursday morning. Now, our, our listeners, we don't know where they are in time. Time is a concept <laughs> on this podcast. Right. We're disembodied voices at whatever time the listener is at. So, so Donald – uh, this is a piece of the overall response to Hurricane Maria that is becoming controversial. People are calling it Trump's Katrina. I guess they may have said that about the last two hurricanes. It's a cliche about every hurricane. But the president put a series of statements, uh, I think mainly on Twitter, about how you know this is basically Puerto Rico's fault, the mess they're in. They had a bad power grid. Yeah, it didn't help. He he <clears throat> he knocked that they have a debt problem, that they have kind of crappy infrastructure. And this was literally like three or four days after the hurricane hit. And the and, fact that they're an island uh, yeah. surrounded by a lot of water. In an ocean where like there's a lot ocean. of water. It was a very strange comment. But going back to the debt issue, I mean, the, the Jones Act has contributed significantly to, to the debt issue. I think it was estimated that if the Jones Act were repealed, uh, the price of consumer goods would drop 15 to 20 percent. Um, I think it was uh, the amount of money that the island is paying as a result of this was $1.7 billion in lost commerce every year uh, for the past 20 years. So it's it's a little bit rich for, for President Trump to be saying, you know, like they aren't they aren't really taking care of things with their finances while we have this like very uh, punitive law in our hands. And there are calls, increasing calls now to cancel some of that debt or to just somehow get the debtors, the uh, the creditors to take a haircut for once. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess that's probably unlikely. So Donald Trump sounded like he had never heard of Puerto Rico or you know, the concept of islands. I'm not sure. But more broadly, the American people in general, according to polls, are not very aware that residents of Puerto Rico are U.S. citizens. Uh, yes. Which they are by birth since like 1916. Yes. <clears throat> and there's also 3.5. Four million people there, 
So that's I, I think people forget that that's 3.4 million Americans right now who are in a crisis. I mean, that is roughly the size of Connecticut. So imagine if this was happening for the, in, to the entire state of Connecticut. They had no water. Like the majority of the of the, the state has no water. The majority of the state has no power. There's people in rural areas that nobody can get to. This is the same thing. It's just in Puerto Rico, except for you know versus Connecticut. So, like other U.S. territories and the District of Columbia where we live, they do not have representation in the U.S. Senate. They have non-voting representation in the House. Given the huge role Congress seems to play in response to every disaster, how is this? It seems like it's it's fair to say that this undemocratic arrangement is directly harming. Puerto Rico. Do you, do you think yes. Over- I mean, th- I've, I've gotten emails from some readers who are saying, you know, please help us. You know, my family's in Puerto Rico or I'm from Puerto Rico. And, you know, part of the problem is nobody speaks for us in Congress. We don't have any votes. We have one person who can at least say something, but she can't, you know, vote. So please, I mean, they're turning to people in the media for, t- for help on this. Is Congress going to do uh, a disaster aid bill? They they did one for Harvey. I believe they augmented the sum in response to Irma. It, I haven't heard anything about uh, Maria. Am I am I missing something? So I have talked to some senior Republican aides who tell me that they expect it has to start with a request coming to Congress. They can't just pass a bill. They need a dollar figure from the governor or from FEMA. From FEMA, right. So FEMA has to come up with a number, give it to Congress and say, we need this. So what I've heard is that uh, Congress is expecting to get a request uh, in mid-October. That seems, seems like much, it seems much later than long. the requests for the previous hurricanes. And I, think, I think they would argue that at FEMA or in the administration that, well, they're still, they're still assessing the damage. They can't put a dollar figure on it until they have an assessment. But then on the other hand – it's a pretty urgent situation, so maybe you could just, you know, scrape up a number and give the give it to Congress. And yeah. I think the fact that the assessment is taking so much longer is also kind of indicative of our uh, the comparative amount of attention that you know government officials are paying in Houston and Florida versus Puerto Rico. You know, it's it's not completely surprising or counterintuitive that it would be easier and quicker to get uh, assessors on the ground in the contingent fifty states. In other words, part of the problem is is that it's an island, like Trump said. But is the fact that the damage is so severe also contributing to their delays in assessing? Maybe this we, might be too speculative. I yeah. think if the damage was similar in Connecticut, we would we would have people on the ground. Oh, we don't speculate on the so that happened <laughs> podcast. We we trade only in facts. Uh, Jen Bendery and, and Jessica Schulberg, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Zach Young. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Arthur Delaney, and this week we were joined by CNN contributor and former NFL wide receiver Dante Stallworth, as well as HuffPost reporters Travis Waldron, Jeff Young, Igor Bobic, Jessica Schulberg, and Jennifer Bendery. So That Happened is available on Apple Podcasts. Check out the whole family of HuffPost podcasts in the iTunes store, And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to sothathappened at huffpost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening. (laughs) 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.